You might know ADP as the biggest name in payroll, but that's just the beginning. Because ADP is transforming the way great work gets done. With HR, talent, time, benefits, and payroll. Informed by data and designed for people. That's ADP. Always designing for people. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. New tensions between the United States and Iran raise questions about the Trump administration's strategy and internal disputes over policy. Plus, Trump unveils a new immigration policy, albeit without too many details. But could it reshape the immigration debate? Welcome. I'm Paul Gigo with The Wall Street Journal. And uh, here to talk about these subjects are my colleagues, Bill McGurn. Hello, Bill. Hi, Paul. And Kimberly Strassel. Hey, Kim. Hi, Paul. So let's start with the U.S. and Iran story, which has uh, uh, taken uh, this uh, foreign policy issue to the to the center of the American political discussion this week. And uh, uh, based on new threats from Iran to American diplomats and uh, forces overseas, uh, cited by the Pentagon and uh, the Trump administration. And uh, in response, the U.S. Had, earlier this week withdrew its diplomats from Iraq, uh, saying except for emergency personnel, and they have deployed a carrier, aircraft carrier group, and uh, uh, a Patriot uh, missile uh, defense batteries, as well as a new uh, bomber group uh, uh, over there, Bill. And um, my sources tell me that this is based on some of the clearance evidence one official said he's seen in a very long time, uh, uh, really something that is just very clear and they had to respond to. And the um, uh, head of CENTCOM, new general who's running CENTCOM, had requested explicitly that the forces be sent. Now, the response to this by many on the left, and particularly former Obama administration officials, has been to say the U.S. is goading Iran into war. How do you react to all of this? Well, uh, Paul, further to your point, uh, most of the time when the reaction goes that way, they're basically saying it's John Bolton's war. John Bolton <laughs> wants war. He's the national security. And you know who minister. also says that? Iran's foreign minister. I sat down with him about a month ago and he was trying, they're trying to draw uh, cleavage between the National Security Council and the president. Look, I'm not sure the president is where John Bolton is on a lot of the issues, but he picked him as national security advisor and he says he wants all opinions. What the real question looks to me is, why are some people not taking threats seriously? Are they so tied to the idea that the Iran nuclear deal brought peace in our time that they now have to deny what would appear to be credible threats in the sense that people that don't have a political stake, some of these military leaders, are are clearly worried about it. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it, exactly the the narrative that's emerged. Kim is this so a, a division between Bolton asserted division between Bolton and Trump. Now, I'm told that Trump is uh, has generally been on board with the Iran strategy. Now. Uh, uh, this attempt to stigmatize Bolton um, is uh, maybe an attempt to get Trump to back down from what has been a pretty clear strategy, in my view, to try to isolate, pull out for number one, pull out of the, the nuclear agreement, deny Iran the cash, the money to finance uh, some of its adventurism around the region, some of its financing for terrorists, and keep the pressure on. 
not to go to war, but to keep the pressure on and bring them back to the table for a renegotiation of the nuclear deal. Uh, I know that John Bolton's on board with that uh, strategy uh, because the president has ordered him to implement it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it seems to me that uh, you know, we want to talk about you know, the degree to which Trump himself may be reluctant to use force if he has to. But right now, that policy seems to me, from all of my reporting, that Bolton and Trump are, are on the same page in these deployments. Right. And it's a good policy because the entire idea here is that we need to deny um, Iran the money that it's especially it's Quds Force, which is run by General Qasem Soleimani, uh, the money that they're getting from all of these uh, that they were getting from the Iran deal in particular to um, go out and, and finance a lot of terror and foment a lot of problems around the world. They've been feeding the war in Yemen against the Saudis and helping out Bashar Assad in Syria and challenging Israel and financing Hezbollah and Lebanon and Hamas in Gaza. And so the goal here, yes, is make them renegotiate a deal. And they're clearly acting up because um, the Trump administration has been putting some very tough pressure on them and it's working to a degree you know they they designated the islamic revolutionary guard corps a terror group that hurts its business interests again denies it some of its money they've closed some loopholes on the sale of iranian oil and and put some more restrictions on iranian metal exports these are all tightening the noose um and so to the extent that iraq or iran is acting up it is in response to this and that is good news and i mean and i and i would wager that that's what bolton is telling the president is, you know, stay the course here because what you were seeing out there is a reaction and some proof that this is this is working. And uh, the uh, uh, Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, uh, responded to some of this criticism and said, I'm sorry, these are real threats. Uh, this is real intelligence. And I think if you're talking about us, you know, the State Department, what the, one one thing they got to have to worry about is another Benghazi which was a terrorist assault in Libya, remember, on the four, the four Americans who were killed there on a, on a, on a consulate and a, and a, and a CIA annex. Uh, and in Iraq, you get something like that, it'll be a lot more than four dead, Bill. Yeah, look, uh, again, it goes back to, I think some people are so wed to this, this deal that they are trying to deny the threats. And of course, Iran always has plausible deniability in that it acts through proxies. Uh, so many times to kind of erase the trail, you know. In all this talk about war, there is a, there is a tension in in Donald Trump. He came to office promising not to get us involved in long wars, especially in the Middle East. But he also came with a pretty harsh attack on Iran and the nuclear deal. And right now, he seems to be saying um, that was a bad deal, and we want the behavior change. Iran, you know, the problem is so many people see the Middle East through the template of. Israeli-Palestinian relations. And, you know, as we know, the real dominant conflict is uh, Sunni Shia between the Arabs and Iran. And they're all they're all terrified of what Iran's doing. They see Iran in um, four Arab countries, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, um, and so forth, and it scares them. An issue, though, is, and you touched on this, Bill, is Donald Trump uh, and uh, what about his fortitude? And I, I got a call this week from a Republican senator who pays 
prominent Republican senator pays very a great deal of attention to uh, foreign affairs, and he's worried that uh, the you see around the world several places where countries' uh, adversaries are beginning to tr- to push back on Trump and to test him to different degrees. You have uh, Kim Jong Un act firing a missile. Missiles again, short-term missiles, and acting up uh, on the nuclear front. You have China backing away from concessions on trade. You have the Cubans and the Russians defying uh, Trump's uh, uh, declarations that they need to get out of the hemisphere in, in support of Maduro. You have uh, now Iran uh, acting up. And Trump saying, well, look, I want to negotiate and uh, please give me a call, uh, uh, Ayatollah Khamenei. Uh, I'm here. Uh, call me maybe. And uh, uh, you have and, – and, and this, this senator is worried that this Trump has sent signals that maybe he's so averse to the use of force that they could uh, maybe take advantage of that, Kim. Well, this is one of the perils of Trump broadcasting that so loudly, um, complaining about, you know, different engagements that we got into and why we were ever there and then saying that, you know, there's plans for withdrawal in in places where we have troops at the moment. Um, It sends a message that he doesn't like foreign engagement um, and that um, maybe they can get away with some of this. And, you know, that's why I think it's important what they're doing in terms of, of sanctions on Iran and in terms of, of trying to, to put a lot of pressure on them. But you also do occasionally have to have a, a willingness show, a show of willingness to engage or, you know, really be involved or else there's going to be a vacuum there. And, you know, it is very reassuring that Trump has folks like Bolton around. It makes you – and Pompeo, it does make you feel more confident that – um, they will do the right thing. But one of the problems, obviously, in foreign policy is that it's so much of it is about what a president says. Um, and as we know, Trump has got a very different style than most presidents, and, and he's a bit unfiltered. And sometimes in domestic politics, it causes a, a upheaval and a scandals and TV headlines, um, but it has potentially far more damaging consequences uh, overseas in terms of real military engagement. Well, and you can see some of these uh, Foreign adversaries trying to separate Pompeo and uh, and Bolton from Trump, right? Uh, the North Koreans have been explicit about it, <laughs> saying that no deal ever gets done with Pompeo. Get him. Has. The Russians <laughs> criticized Bolton. The Iranians, the Venezuelans, you know. Right, and uh, uh, now the president's on his third national security advisor. You don't want to go to a fourth, uh, but ultimately Trump is the decision maker here. There's no doubt about that. This isn't this. John Bolton isn't running John Bolton's foreign right. policy. He's running Donald Trump's foreign policy. Right. The, the the question some of these foreign leaders have is: Does Donald Trump believe in Donald Trump's foreign policy all the time, right. in, or is he changing his mind about it? Well, in in fairness to him. You know, one of the things that came up was the possibility of sending 120,000 troops to Iran. Right I now, I don't know how real that was. Well, that's that a quite an right. Extreme contingency. No, but uh, that's my point. But if you listen to the full remarks that Trump made, he said, that's the last thing Donald Trump wants to do. I mean, after Iraq and the way he campaigned, the last thing he wants to do is put 120. But he did say, "I would do it if I have to," and I would send twice as many this week on that. So, and I think that's important because, as you were just saying. Um, these things aren't separate. They're separate to us, North Korea, Venezuela, 
um, Iran, Iraq. But they're not separate to the bad guys who are looking. I mean, the solution to North Korea might be doing something tough in Iran, right, to persuade them. It's not, and we all tend to treat them differently. And uh, this idea, again, that Bolton said, the, the purpose of this is to make for a safer world. Iran and North Korea are tremendous destabilizing threats to the neighborhoods that they live in, right? They're belligerent. And and also, I think, on, on the America first grounds, it's, I mean, it's a, kind of a vague policy, but, you know, Iran is responsible for a lot of American deaths. This isn't just intervening in a country somewhere overseas because we want a democracy. I mean, Iran has a lot of American blood on its hands. By some measures, it's responsible for uh, about a third of right. the casualties in, uh, that America took in Iraq through these uh, shaped charges. Right. And, uh, and uh, and IEDs. Uh, all right, uh, let's uh, uh, take a break. Uh, you're listening to Potomac Watch from the Wall Street Journal. You might know ADP is the biggest name in payroll, but that's just the beginning because ADP is transforming the way great work gets done with HR talent, time, benefits, and payroll informed by data and designed for people. That's ADP, always designing for people. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. Welcome back. I'm Paul Gigo with uh, Kim Strassel and uh, Bill McGurn. Let's turn to the domestic story of the week, or one of the one of the biggest, which is Donald Trump's unveiling a, a new immigration strategy. Uh, you could call it a policy, or but it's a pretty much of an outline of a policy. There's not a lot of detail there, but it uh, it suggests he's going to move to wants to move to a more merit-based system of uh, immigration visas as opposed to family-based immigration. Kind of reverse the percentages there, which are now dominated by family uh, visas. He also uh, talks about allowing more uh, uh, skilled immigrants into the country, particularly highly educated. Foreigners who come to the United States, go to our leading universities, get a degree, and he says, you know, we should allow them to stay here, find a way to have them stay here. Um, then uh, he and, and he and he also has dropped the line that we need to reduce in half uh, the amount of uh, foreign Im- uh, immigration. Now we in a, we admit about a million people a year, immigrants each year. Previously, he had signed on to a, the so-called RAISE Act by Tom Cotton and the Senate, senator from Arkansas, that would have cut that in half. Uh, now he's not saying cut those numbers, uh, uh, Kim. But uh, uh, what do you make of uh, this shift? And, it's, and it was a more generous rhetoric about immigration, though still very tough on the border and on, uh, on, on, on illegal immigration. Yeah, here's what I like about this policy uh, is just what you said in that this is a little bit more generous of a, a of a language. And by the way, it's just good news that he's put out a policy, okay? This is not something that's really happened. It's been a bit piecemeal. So the idea that there's an outline here is important because you don't get something big like this done without White House and presidential leadership. Well, you know, Congress, even with White House and congressional leadership in, in past years, has never managed to come together. But that's certainly an ingredient that is necessary. Um, and then two, as you said, the language in here and that I think 
there's a lot of people in the White House, a faction of people, advisors around the president that am constantly, constantly pushing him to cater to his more nativist base. And that's where you get him signing on to things like the Race Act. Um, this is some of the rival forces uh, making the case to him that, you know, this is the best way in the end that he's going to get some of the money he wants for border security is a bigger and broader deal. And so th- those are the good parts. There's some bad parts, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, uh, Jared Kushner, this is kind of a compromise bill between Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, who the president tasked earlier this year to come up with a broader immigration strategy, and Stephen Miller, mm-hmm. who is the res- the main restrictionist in the White House, mm-hmm. who has dominated White House immigration policy. They kind of have come up with a hybrid here. I still think uh, in the end, uh, Miller comes out the stronger because the president had made no proposal to expand uh, guest worker visas for agriculture, hospitality, uh, businesses, construction, where there's a huge labor shortage in the United States. Uh, and there was nothing on the dreamers, the, 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 ki- the adults who were brought here illegally as children, nothing the, uh, about uh, the current illegal immigration population. So that's basically what the Democrats want. And right. so my question is, this looks to me more like a uh, campaign strategy document and proposal than it does an actual uh, legislative strategy. I'm, I'm hoping that's right, actually, because I, I just don't think that we're in a position to get an immigration deal this election year. I don't think Democrats, having refused other possible compromises, are going to want to hand something that the president will crow is an achievement, uh, no matter what the terms. However, the good thing about putting something out now is that after the elections, we'll see who prevails. And if Donald Trump prevails, he'll be in a better position to implement a policy that he's campaigned on and at least highlight the differences and see if you can get Congress to come to the table on it. I'm also skeptical. I mean, having been there in the 2007 um, immigration debacle and written the speech for it, it blew up in our faces. I am skeptical of the comprehensive. I'd just like to see something done because I think if we got one or two pieces rolling, we could then tackle some of the other things like guest workers and dreamers and the wall, all, all these things. The one, the, 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 uh, another point the president made, which is a more urgent policy, is doing something about the abuses that are ta- being taken of the U.S. asylum policy, which has served as an incentive to attract uh, these parents uh, with children. It used to be that people coming over the border, most of them were individuals who wanted a better life, economic job, you know, young people on the make. Uh, uh, now they're coming with families right. and they're coming from Central America. And, you know, because they've been told if you come with children, you will be and you claim asylum, you will be granted asylum. Uh, uh, well, you'll be granted a, a reprieve. You'll be they can only hold children for 20 days. Then they have to be released. So they'll give you a ticket, literally a bus ticket to some place where you can see if we have a family mostly large cities, a relative, they'll send you there and they'll say, come back when your asylum here is, uh, is taking place. That could be two years. In New York, I was told it was as long as seven-year wait for that kind of a hearing. So basically, that's uh, essentially uh, uh, forever. Uh, any chance, you, Kim, this year that they'll get a deal on something like that? 
I am sad to say that I agree with Bill on this, that I think Democrats are too committed to obstructing the president, not handing him anything that he could view as a victory, even though the evidence that this is a massive problem, that it is encouraging people to come and, and cross on the border and in creating situations where lives are at risk and, you know, it, people, there's just, there's, there is a real problem there. And it's in part because of these incentives. And look, I, I think that also highlights something really important that the president also said in this and why I'm glad he's putting a focus on it, whether it's for the campaign or not. But you know, this is fundamentally a failing of Congress. OK, you can't fix the asylum situation unless you fix the law. And in fact, pretty much everything the president light, laid out there it was a reminder that none of this can change unless Congress is engaged in doing something. So, you know, and I kind of look at this as a problem in both Republicans and Democrats. Democrats in Congress, a failure on both sides. And uh, I'm glad that the White House was making, putting some spotlight on them and saying, you know, you guys have got to move. Show, I, I think it shows again, uh, the, the, your point uh, underscores, Kim, the price that uh, the president and the Republican Party is paying for not having uh, struck some kind of uh, immigration accommodation when they ran the House of Representatives. And now it just gets that much harder. Uh, unless you have a real crisis for Democrats to to do a deal with Democrats. Yeah, I, I agree with that in the sense that uh, they could have gotten some of the fixes they want. Although now I, I, I sort of wonder, you know, the immigration ebbs and flows on who the political advantage is. I think the White House is calculating that with the real chaos at the border, it now hurts the Democrats. I still think they can't help themselves. They just don't want to ha- work with Donald Trump at all. They're in resistance mode. I'm hoping after 2020 we might be in a place where both sides realize they got to do something. And then there's this element which is uh, uh, going to roil even Republicans, and that is the White House now, because they don't have the, the, the uh, resources at the border to hold uh, right. the tens of thousands that are coming, they are now sending some of these, immig- some of these asylum uh, uh, claimers uh, to other states, including Florida, and they're going to send, what, 500 uh, uh, every uh, month or so to, to, to Florida and say, hey, Governor DeSantis, your, uh, your problem, mate, <laughs> you, you get to solve this problem. How is that going to go down with Republicans, Kim? Oh, it's going to go down terribly. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, there's a reason. We have to be honest about this. We all of us are, are pro-legal immigration. Um, but, you know, there's a reason why Republicans, especially out in border states, are much more than we use the word nativist about this because they deal with true and legitimate problems that come with illegal immigration, okay? And we, we generally celebrate immigration, especially when it's done the right way as a thing that's good for the economy, good for labor markets, good for communities. But the illegal type does have a lot of very bad effects. And um, you're going to be spreading that around to different key areas that, you know, again, just from a raw political point, uh, the president needs those states. And I guess the strategy here is if you put pressure on the, um, the some of these states, um, particularly the sanctuary city uh, uh, areas, then they may come around and say, OK, we'll come to do a deal. But both of you seem to be suggesting that, in fact, uh, it's going to take a lot more than that to get Democrats to negotiate this year. I think they're going to have to see um, resistance fail. 
Um, but again, I'm glad at least the president is talking about something <coughs> in a positive direction for immigrants. I mean, the McGurn immigration platform is very simple. I was out in California around Christmas when you remember the national story of the young police officer with the baby who was killed. He was an immigrant from Fiji, law-abiding looking for the American dream. He was killed by an illegal immigrant from Mexico. I want more of the guys, like the honest guy became a cop, and fewer of the guys that are going to give us trouble. I, I think that's a common sense approach that most Americans would agree with. Yeah, it, 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 it is, but uh, uh, common, common sense in Congress are not usually uh, uh, in, used in the same sentence. All right. Uh, uh, thank you, Kim. Thank you, Bill. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more editions of Potomac Watch.